Hey, welcome in. It's the Unanchored Boston Podcast. Hank Morse, Bob Lobel, and <clears> filling <throat> in for Lynchy, the great Butch Stearns. And we're brought to you by Our Best Foods and Our Best Burgers. George Gray's Lexington Toyota, 409 Mass Ave in Lexington, lexingtontoyota.com. And the only place to go if you want to buy an RV, Cold Springs RV and Ware, New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-E, New Hampshire, coldspringsrv.com. <clears throat> What a week we are coming off right here in Boston. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. How you doing, Hank? Butch, good to see you. Butch, you're absolutely right. The Father's Day uh, thing was packed, except for the Celtics. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I Well, even if the Celtics did get the calls in game six, they weren't going to make it to game seven, right? Right, right. But uh, you went out to the open, right? Yeah, I went out at, uh, well, you know the drill with our work schedules and working without a producer right now. So I, w I get out there at 2 o'clock. I watch the first, the last three groups tee off, and then I followed them till about 10, 11, and 12, and then hopped on one of those shuttle buses, got back to the studio and watched the, on TV. It was fun. Boy, the crowds were unbelievable. Did amazing you guys get out event. there? It was an amazing event. I To put it there in Brookline where there's no parking, there's no anything. You can't move. You got to step outside, you know, to smile. Uh, it, it's that, it's that amazing. The whole event was, they did a remarkable job. I got to say they did a remarkable job. Oh, everybody, the USGA, the volunteers. I had a buddy of mine, his name's Dennis Kerwan. He's an attorney from Situate and he volunteered all four days and he ended up the last three days as the scoreboard guy on 17, changing the numbers, oh, 17 awesome. to be right there. Uh, he started on 18 and he was behind the big board and he looked at the guy cause they were all younger kids. And the guy said, I'll take care of you. So the next day he put him on 17. He was in front of the, on the edge of the green and all the guys were hitting up to him and he would, they were right in front of him. And he just, so when I got there on Sunday, even though I know the course a little, he had been there all week and he took me, he goes, come on, he took me to three high spots, and on each of them, like three, four, five, I think it was, you could see a green, you could see a fairway, and you could see a tee box. So you could stay there. And, like, when we got to there, we watched, you know, all the three groups come through. I'll tell you, my, my, my last impression, my biggest takeaway of the thing was the kid, the kid that won it deserved it. He really did. I mean, he had 17 greens in regulation. I've been keeping my greens in regulation. I shot an 85 yesterday and hit three. <laughs> I mean, I know they're in a different world, but that kid yeah. deserved it, didn't he? Yeah, but I mean, the shot on 18 out of the bunker was oh. unbelievable. I mean, uh, I was rooting for Zalatoris because he went to Wake Forest, and I thought the last guy that won at the Open was a Wake Forest guy. It was Curtis Strange. Yep. The last guy, you know, here in Boston, my grandson just graduated from Wake Forest. So I was a big oh, nice. you know, Demon Deacon fan. So Zalatoris, he's going to win his share, but uh, he dropped out this week because he's he's apparently fried. I thought he that was... putt. What, <clears throat> that putt yeah. missed by a half inch, less than an inch, right? You'd say? He right said an inch. He said an inch and a half, but after on his press on his press conference, he was asked about the putt. I love this answer. I love what he said. He competed so hard and has now not won a tournament, but finished second in three majors, right? And he said, I'd give a lot of money to have another inch and a half. 
<laughs> I started laughing. I was like, <laughs> you know, that line's going to go back to you. But then he said, if you're asking me if we're going to change anything, he said, we've, he's talking about him as caddy. We've finished second in three straight major and three majors now. He goes, I think we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. I loved that answer. I, I mean, he just. Well, yeah, because it's going to happen eventually. Right. I, mean, I hope it does. The guy could be one of the greats of all time. Yeah. Got the right demeanor, but. One of the most enjoyable things for me was watching some of the other golfers congratulate Fitzpatrick. Right. I was like, that's a well-liked guy. Right. And, you know, to see his family come over and the way they embraced him as he came off of 18. I mean, it was his first tour victory, right? Yeah. First PGA tour. Well, I think we all know is I think everybody out there after listening knows his story. If they don't, it's, it's a great one. He, becomes the second golfer in the history men's golfer to win the U S amateur and the U S open on the same course. Jack did it at Pebble beach, but he stayed with the Fulton family were their names where he stayed in 2013 when he won the amateur. <coughs> but, but beyond that, he asked everybody in the house in the Fulton house, nine years later to sleep in the same bedrooms. So that he slept in in 2013 <laughs> because he thought it would bring him good luck. That's and awesome. now he says he's going to play more tournaments in New England and and stay at the Fultons all the time. Now, isn't it a strange story about how he ended up in the Fultons? Didn't his family come over and they couldn't get any hotel space? And somebody volunteered, said, hey, a member said, hey, you yeah. know what? Come stay with me. Yeah, that's a Cape Cod League baseball trait right there. Right? Yeah, right. You know, the course was in – they did an unbelievable job on the course. The actual – playing of the tournament on those grounds it was an immaculate they were everything was every blade of grass was perfect on that well to your point bobby how many times have we heard the pros complain at a u.s open i mean i always put it this way the usga's goal is to have the winner be even par right like to try to everybody shoot even par or one over maybe one under and they only had what seven guys under par so but you didn't hear anybody complain this year you didn't hear anybody complain about the speed of the greens. You heard them compliment the course. I mean, think about this. Colin Morikawa and Hideki Matsuyama shot the best rounds on Sunday, 65 and 66. And they were three and I think uh, two under. And they didn't compete. But the way it was coming down the stretch, there was a chance they could have because they finished earlier just because of how hard the course was. Well, it was a, it was a spectacle. They did it. <clears throat> Fabulous job, and it'll, it'll well, hopefully, I don't know, the, the U.S. Open has already been designated for, uh, you know, how many years in advance, and there's a couple openings, and one is in the, the, the late the 20s here, maybe 2000 or 20 and 8, or 28. Uh, so it's it's possible it could come back here that's that, that much sooner. But on the other hand, it's quite a sacrifice for the, course itself and the club itself because at least this time around it was like stadium golf yeah unlike the first one 30 years ago or whenever curtis strange won it in the faldo playoff there was the, the stands weren't lining every course this was this was true stadium golf just like the phoenix par three in, in many ways. so it's, it's, I thought they did a great job because everywhere I walked when I left my buddy, he had to go to, to work or volunteer. Everywhere I walked, you it, it was just logistically well, set up well. 
it was the the crowds were, you know, well behaved. Um, it, it just I don't know. It worked. It, it, I don't. I, I can't. It's hard to find a criticism of it. You know, it's funny. Um, you want to, except I wish it could be back here sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to live to see the next one. I mean, it seemed like the players and even the announcers went out of their way to talk about the condition of the course and just the meticulous nature that existed over there. Over the, how will it? How does it affect the members? You brought that up. Yeah, like, they, a lot. I mean, they make a big sacrifice, Hank, because not only does it take the course out of play for this week or for the week of the tournament, it takes the course out of play leading up to it. I mean, they had to put the stands in. They have to manicure, you know, the, the mowing. It affects them. it affects them in a big way. It's a big sacrifice. It's it's a big payoff, but it's a big sacrifice. I mean, they get all the, the kudos and you know, you know what I remember is like the first Ryder Cup was at the Worcester Country Club. Nobody even you know mentions that, but that's where it was. Worcester Country Club is the first Ryder Cup. So it's not like New England is you know barren of any of golf tradition. Far be it. I mean, it's. I mean, everything's in the South and Southwest now in, in Europe, but the Wingland's got its share. And the, I love the fact that the first Ryder Cup was played at the Worcester Country Club and that this one, this country club endures. You know, the, try, for the three of us to try to get in there, that's, you know, don't even bother. But uh, I'm just saying it's, it's one of those jewels that is around, you know, and they did a great job of, of Hanging around Boston and putting, you know, pointing out all the iconic uh, yep. things go on in, in the city of Boston and what made it such a great sports <clears throat> Is and it that, the second oldest country club in America? I think so. It's, it's right up there. I mean, it might be the oldest for. Um, but now, of course, we have to remember that there's a team still playing in Boston. That's we have to, you know, switch gears. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, there's the Red Sox. And all of a sudden, you know, they're getting 28,000 a game, not, not exactly selling out, but maybe they'll start because they are, have, they have been on a roll. They have, you know, they haven't moved up in the standings. They're still 12 and a half behind the Yankees and they're never going to catch them because of the year that the Yankees are having, but they could do, they could finish ahead of Tampa Bay and they could finish ahead of Toronto. Well, isn't the real question with the Red Sox, uh, how many days now, August 2nd? I think it's five weeks or six weeks away from now. They moved the – because of the lockout, they moved the trade deadline back to August 2nd. Um, But isn't the real question how management really feels about this team? Because, Bob, they've been great. They're 15-4 and in June. They're 27-12 and since they were under 500. That's 15 games over 500. That's a good baseball team, but let's be honest. You know, no disrespect to them, but they're beating up on the dregs of the world like they should do. And they've got themselves back in contention for the wild card. But for the next five weeks, do the Red Sox already know if they're going to be buyers or sellers? And if they are sellers, I mean, J.D. Martinez is gone. Is Bogart's gone? Is I mean, where do you stop? I don't know how what they're thinking. I don't think anybody does. I just checked. Yeah, they're they're a half game. They're. Tied for the second wild card spot, yeah, just a half game right? out of the top spot. And you well, think, I think they'll really... make the postseason? I think they will. I think they'll absolutely make the postseason. Maybe just for one game, but the point is, you're right. I guess the trade deadline does that does break them. Are there buyers or sellers? And will Chris Sale come back and actually pitch a few innings for the 
to them this year. I mean, it's, and in what capacity? I mean, these, all of a sudden you start turning your lonely eyes toward Fenway Park and say, oh yeah, you know, they've got some things going on there. Well, this doesn't make for good talk radio. We know the answer is somewhere in the middle or talk podcast here. Um, but they're, they're probably not going to have a huge fire sale and they're probably not going to go out and get the biggest names. They're going to use sale as a pickup. He threw another simulated game Monday. Alex Cora was effusive for even for Alex and that he's hitting 96, 97 regularly now and that he's got his change up back, which he did not have last year. Guys hit like almost 500 off with a changeup, so he stopped throwing it. And it's his second year of Tommy John surgery. So if you get Sale back, they need a bullpen arm. They keep throwing these Flotsam and Jetsam out there, and I give Bloom credit because a lot of them work, but they need to go to bullpen arm, spend some resources, spend some money. Um, they're in a good position. They, they got a lot of prospects. Look at Jaron Duran now, what he's looked like this week. I mean – Kiki Hernandez contract is up at the end of the year. You're probably not signing him if you got a guy like that, or maybe you are and you're trading Durant. I mean, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle, Bob. I know that's a wishy-washy answer, but I don't think they're going to make a big splash and go trade for Josh Bell, for example, who's having an all-star year and is supposedly on the trading block in Washington. I'd love to see him do something like that, but I don't well, see it. Here's the deal. We know what the Celtics need. They need a point guard. Yep. Purely and simply. And I do – agree with uh, Gasper's column yesterday that Marcus Smart is the likely one to go if they're going to get any kind of a quality point guard. I mean, he is the one thing that they can, you know, defensive player of the year. Ah, you know, I mean, that's great. And then everything else, but he didn't show up for the last seven games, basically. So I'm just saying that he's one guy that Celtics need a point guard. Purely and simply. And uh, I mean, somebody that can really run the show. The Red Sox, on the other hand, well, what do you do with their shortstop? What do you do with the shortstop? Do you trade them? I mean, seriously. I mean, if they, if they traded Mookie Betts, they can trade anybody. Seriously. I mean, you got to figure out by the All-Star break if you're going to sign him. I think you know now. Yeah, I think you know now. Of course you know now. And Boris is his agent. He wants him to go. But, but the bottom line is, I mean, look, I don't – I've been around him enough, and even this year, he does want to stay here. He really does. It means something. Yeah, well, so did Mookie Betts. Mm, not as much. Well, I know, no. because he, they, they actually screwed him in arbitration is basically what happened. Yeah, I remember I did an interview with Bogarts when he signed this contract in spring training, and I started comparing him to Mookie, and he said, I'm not Mookie. He says, well, what do you mean? This is before we even started the interview. He goes, I'm not Mookie. I'm my own guy. Mookie's going to do his thing. That told me that they were thinking a little differently at the time. That's just what he said to me. And I think he really wants to stay here. He wears number two because Jeter was his idol. He admired that he played for one team his whole career. He is the – there's no question. He is the leader of the entire organization. The Latino players come up to him in spring training and just – you know, if there's a hook in their mouth and they listen to him and they ask how to be a major leaguer, he's, he's, if they lose him, they lose so much more than whatever he is as a hitter and a shortstop. They lose. Well, how are you going to keep him, Butch? You I sign mean, him. Sign him. You give, sign him. I mean, make him an offer that, ask him what he wants. And if it's, you know, Bor I think for all the vitriol about Scott Boris, 
He's made some good deals for both sides with the Red Sox over the years. There's a lot of them. To everyone from J.D. Drew to, um, oh, God, I can't even think of them all now. He, he had them all. But is he the so, type of guy? He, to me, looks like the type of guy who never wants his clients to take, like, the hometown discount, which it might be what it would take to sign him. They're not going to overpay for him, right? They're not going to give him $32 million to play shortstop. I don't know. You know. He's got a great reputation. He, you know, he, that's why he is who he is because he gets what his clients want. I mean, what he, Boris wants, yeah. Hank, what Boris wants is the same scenario every time. He wants them to hit the market. He wants to then drop with John Heyman or one of his cronies that there's a mystery team out there and make the three, the last two or three teams that are bidding for the guy think they got to overbid. And that's how the Red Sox overbid for David Price and outbid the Cardinals for $32 million. Although Price wasn't a Boris guy then, I don't think. But, um, you know, and they overpaid because they made the mistake with John Lester. I mean, I this is similar in that if they let Bogarts go, okay, they got Trevor Story, great. And he moves over to shortstop. And they got guys in the minors that they think can be their second baseman, great. But that's, that's fantasy baseball. Yeah. <laughs> You lose Xander Bogots. You lose the leader, the literal heart. Well, I'm telling you, Butch, there's no, I don't think there's much doubt about it. It's just a matter of whether they want to play with him for the rest of the year and then and then lose him for nothing or they want to trade for him. And I would simply say that the, if you roll the dice, smart money would say they're going to trade for him. Who's this big black thing walking behind you? This Right behind you. Thank you. Big black. She's only like sixty-eight pounds. My dog Lucy. She's attack you. No, <laughs> she's just. This is her kingdom back here in this backyard. What's her name? I can Lucy. see why. Most dogs aren't living like that, Butch. <laughs> Where's this, Lucy? Where are you, Lucy? Say hi. Say hi to the guys. There you go, Lucy. Hey, Lucy. I got my headphones in. She can't hear you, Hank. Good thing you don't have a steak hanging around your neck. Uh, I know. <laughs> Oh, so we anyway. brought up the bullpen. I, when every, you know, when I check the box scores every day, I'm amazed when, and I look, and the name, their bullpen is unrecognizable. They still don't have a closer. Could that be something they look for at the deadline too? It should be. I think it should be a power arm that, in this day and age in baseball, it's six, seven, anywhere between the sixth and the ninth inning. I mean, Tanner Houck gets guys out with that nasty frisbee he throws, and he's their current de facto closer. Jake Diekman has his moments, but you, I think, I don't know, I think the days are dwindling of the guy with 45 saves that's on a contender. It just doesn't work that way anymore. You just have, you have different guys, but you need more arms. When Garrett Whitlock comes back, he's got to go to the back end of the bullpen. I think, you know, there's people that think the Red Sox are taking advantage of them because they signed them to this eight, nine million dollar deal. And then they're going to put them as a starter. So now for the next four years, don't we haven't we come to realize that being a starting pitcher isn't quite cracked up to what it used to be. Uh, Amen. They're not. They're starters, but they're not finishers. Amen. more, More important who's around at the end than who's around at the beginning. Which, since you brought that up, Nick Pavetta is seven and one in his last eight starts. He's gotten a decision in every one during this Red Sox stretch. Well, what would you do with Sale when he comes back? Would you put him in the bullpen? No, I'd put him right in the rotation. 
I'd let him make one or two rehab starts, and then I'd throw him. They're saying maybe 10 days. The Red Sox are off tomorrow. They start a nine-game road trip that goes to Cleveland, Toronto. They're two biggest wildcard contenders, and then they go to Wrigley. And they're talking about Sale being back when they get to Wrigley in uh, 10 days from now, Bobby. But that's probably a little ambitious. But, again, he's been off all season. All season. I know. He's been off for four seasons pretty yeah, much. Right? Reminds I mean, me about how much I hate the the team Guardians. I hate that name. Yeah. It's just so bogus. They could have come up with a hundred different things, but Guardians. All right, I'm glad we don't live there. I mean, I used to live there. <laughs> it sounds like the name of a video game team. That's what it sounds well, like. It just, it just doesn't work. It's, all, it's just like the Commandos or whoever, the Washington football team. <laughs> the Commandos. You know, Hank, you, you commandos mentioned Commandos might ring true for. Uh, no, I know. The Commandos. They're now the Washington Commandos. But Dan Snyder, he might be the Commando. Right. Hank, you, you took the, the shot. It's not a shot, but the shot at sale, and it's a fair one. You know, that contract has not worked out for the Red Sox. But I tell you, I just love that guy. He's honest. He wants to be here. Um, you know, he, he, he has accountability. Um, I think they knew the risk when they got him, the way he threw and how thin he is, that this was always a risk. But I want more guys on my team like that. I really do. You know, he always says, I, I'm a fan, and he always says the right things to the media. He's a guy, he doesn't pass the buck. He takes responsibilities. If he stinks, he'll go, oh, geez, I was terrible out there. You know, that was my fault. However, knowing, um, you know, his physical stature with his his height, his kind of slender-looking body, not that he's not lean, and also his arm slot, the way he throws the ball, it looks to me like he really has never done anything that, to change any of that. And even the fa- the last injury, the phantom injury, or like the broken rib, or like that to me doesn't sound like a guy that you're going to be able to count on. As much as I like him and he's I know. a gamer. I, I know. Well, maybe, sure. maybe uh, you know, like Justin Verlander, look at his bounce back now. Two years after Tommy John, some guys bounce back really well. A lot of them do. So yeah. maybe he Abaldi does. did. Abaldi did. Abaldi did. Yeah. Since you're talking about these guys – and this team, I just want to ask you about the broadcasters. I mean, for on television. I mean, they've got uh, Eckersley. They've got uh, who else? Millar. Yeah. They've got uh, Tony Maz. Tony Maz. Uh, they got Tom Brady's brother-in-law. Euclid. Euclid. What do you? How would you rank these guys? Um, I think Millar's great. I think Maz is really good too. Yeah, he's, uh, he has been. Yeah, I mean Millar and Eckersley together were really good because they don't pull any punches. And you know where Eck' career ended, Millar's sort of carries it over as, from a Red Sox perspective. I think they've been great. I don't know. I don't listen and watch the way I used to. Like, I'm at work, and you know how this goes. It's on in the background. For sure. You know, so I just kind of listen. So, what do you I don't think, want, Hank? I don't, want, I don't want Jim Baker's job, Bob. Jeez, remember that, man? <laughs> I used to have to answer to Jim Baker. Uh, Bob wanted Jim Baker's head. Monica Collins. That's not true. Monica Collins. And no, I remember in 2000, it was like I had lunch with Jim Baker. It was his last, it was in 2003 or something, just before 2002 something. 
And uh, he asked me if what was the greatest story that I ever covered in doing sports. And I said, it hasn't happened yet, Jim. And I, you know, it's a good answer, I thought. Yeah. What and, year? Huh? What year was that? Just before the Red Sox won their first World Series. <laughs> it was a great answer. <laughs> it was a great answer. Well, how would I know at the time? <laughs> we could still be going down that track. I know, I know. But anyway. Jim Baker should have sent you a check every year because you kept him employed. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, uh, we, we love that. The dog's supposed to, the unmentioned of Jim Baker, the dog is supposed to growl. It's all right, Lucy. Wanted to get back to the Celtics a little bit. A few weeks ago, we talked about, geez, what was their problem? Not having a true point guard, right? And we talked about the fact that, well, it's a little bit different NBA now with, uh, you know, guys bringing up the ball. But I look, and when you have Jason Tatum with 100 turnovers, right? What, the most in... NBA playoff history. And when you had on the occasion where he or Jalen Brown would like try to isolate, they'd be, you know, 35, 40 feet from their basket with their back to the basket. How would a real true point guard change those guys? It would, would it be a matter of Tatum really not handling the ball and moving without the ball more? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to picture, would he like that? Would he blend in with that? I think he's used to what Marcus Smart. Obviously, it didn't work in well, the you finals. got to make use. You, you got to, you know, get used to whatever you have. It's not like he has a lot of choices in the matter. Um, I don't know. that. I had his name written down, too. I, we haven't gotten to that just yet. But uh, what do you think about Tatum, Butch? Because, I mean, he just really disappeared uh, in the I finals. Think... But they had, a lot of it had to do with who, the team he was playing. A lot of it had to do with how good Golden State was. And I don't think we knew how good Golden State was until the sixth game of the of the playoffs. Well, I think looking back on it, with, I'll get to Tatum in a sec, but in the series overall, it's pretty simple. I mean, in game four, when Steph Curry went off for 43, he stole something from the Celtics. I mean, he literally did the Indiana Jones and ripped their heart out, and they never got it back. And it's because for the whole playoffs, we all knew the Celtics hadn't been there, done it before, and then they did things. They won game seven against the defending champs and beat them. They won a game seven on the road. They won game one of the NBA Finals. They were up two to one. But when Steph Curry did that, it was so clear to me that the team that had been there, done that before, knew what to do. They smelled blood. They stole something from the Celtics, and the Celtics never got it back, which brings you to Tatum. Well, how are you going to get it back? And brings you to your question, Hank. Would a different point guard help? Well, I think they all have to do some soul search in this offseason and try to understand the bigger picture, why he was in a position to have 100, over 100 turnovers in the postseason as good as he was. That's an issue going forward. That's a problem. Would a more true Chris Paul type point guard help Tatum out more than Marcus Smart? Probably, but not if he's going to stand at the top of the key like he and Jalen Brown do so many times. Try to create their own offense, which I commend, but but do it one on one? No, no, it's just going to happen again. I don't have the answers. Uh, if you want to go right to the Tatum thing, Bobby, you you can't. It's isn't isn't the simple answer that, that that it's both, meaning that 
Tatum deserves most of the blame for the loss in the NBA Finals. Yet Tatum deserves most of the credit for getting to the NBA Finals. I know, so I wouldn't call it the blame. I hate to use that word, Butch, because it really holds somebody personally responsible. There were other okay. guys in that team that came up zero. Pritchard came up zero. Uh, some of these other guys, I know, they weren't supposed to. Mark uh, Derek White came up zero. Uh, the, the guys that got him there through the playoffs, through the heat, through the Milwaukee Bucks, through the Miami Heat, the guys that got him there, uh, for some reason, decided not to show up. Or not decided to, but didn't. The, uh, the eight of them, you know, the, the magic eight guys, even Al Horford, who, you know, had moments, in, including in the last game, probably was their biggest shining light with a couple of three-pointers. Those guys that, you know, were all outmanned and outgunned and outplayed. Yeah, but you can't shy away from with with the stardom comes responsibility, There's right? There's no question about it. Okay. And up until that final series, he was considered an NBA superstar. After that final series... He was not considered an NBA superstar. Well, yes. we're, question, we're questioning it now, but that's no different. When you win, you get the parade, and, and all of a sudden you're on the all-time list. When you lose, they start questioning everything. Well, so you know what is here, exciting? Especially here. <clears throat> yeah. It's exciting to me that Tatum is 24 years old, just turned 24 in March. And I looked, he's just completed five full NBA seasons. Larry Bird was three months into his second season with the Celtics at that same age. And I know the league has changed because it's it's, it's so much younger now. And Bert, and, Bert, and Hank, Bird Bird also had a different route in college. So the I, I get where you're going. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, you know Tatum did one year in college and was drafted at 19. Bird graduated college at 20, almost 23. You know, right? And, and I'm took, looking more right. along the the maturity level. I got it. I got you. I agree. The pressure aspect of it. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, Curry. Steph Curry, 32 years old, right? He's been there how, how many times? So you have to hope that that exponential growth occurs because of the experience losing in the six games, right? Brown is still a young guy. What they do with Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart is still only 28 years old. And, you know, I don't know if they get rid of Pritchard because he played very poorly, but there were times early on in the series or in the, in the playoffs where, you know, he came up clutch. So I don't know what it is. I always thought it was odd during this playoffs that they didn't use – Tice at all and you know he could be a physical presence when all was said and done I looked and said the Celtics didn't have a Draymond Green a guy who you know he reminded me not to the same level but when like Cedric Maxwell was like boys climb on my back I mean he was a guy that you knew was going to go out and punch the opposition in the mouth every game he could you know he was a distraction you know you always had to worry about him and to be honest, I think he got a free pass from the officials, the way he talks to them, not only the officials, but the other players. Um, and statistically, maybe it didn't really show up, but I thought he was a, a real difference maker in that series. Well, they, to your Tice point, the, it's clear Ime Odoka went to a seven-man rotation as opposed to an eight or nine. You know, it was Derek White and then, uh, Grant Williams pretty much off the bench and then sprinkled in with a little Pritchard. Yeah. Um, I don't know. When it comes to Tatum, what's the answer? Let me ask you guys, what's the answer? I mean, I'm, you're not trading a guy. You, you, you certainly have questions if he's going to be the next Dan Marino and never get back there. To use There's it. times, Butch, when he looks like absolutely the best player in the world. Yes. There's times when he looks like he can't miss. And he yes. creates some things that 
you know, you've never seen before. There, and there, there's times like game seven when he just takes the brunt of everything. So I think you got to hang on. There's no question about it. You just, you got to put better players around him. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. But he, when they, when they, when you bring up the questions, they're legit because of who he is in the position he plays in the superstar status. They're legit that does he have the heart to do it? Does he have the blah, blah, blah? Well, he certainly has the experience like you brought up Hank in a short NBA career, but I can't get over. I was sitting next to Joe Mercino in, in the final game and leading into that game, his stats in the fourth quarter in the NBA finals for five games were five for 21. I said to Joe, what number disturbs you more that he only made five shots or that he only took 21 in the fourth quarter of five games in the NBA finals. I, that's coaching too. Like a, a great defense. It's a combination of things, but can you imagine Larry Bird only taking 20 shots in five games in the fourth quarter, Bob? Four shots in the fourth quarter? He might have taken 20 in a game. Agreed. Okay. I don't want to get away from this because I think it's this is valuable conversation. But we're almost now looking at the start of the National Football League season. It's, we're, we're right on the cusp of that. Now that the U.S. is open, open is behind us. And the Red Sox are still, you know, in wild card world or whatever that means. And all that plays out. <laughs> it's like Pretty a Disney simple, ride. You know, fans in Cleveland are so ecstatic that Deshaun Watson is, has finished 20 of his 24 lawsuits against. He's not going to play next year. I mean, I think this, if I was a Browns fan, I would stop being a Browns fan. That's exactly what, after they got this guy. He's not going to play this year. You're going to end up losing Baker Mayfield. You just have screwed everything up. Really. It really makes me want to root for Mayfield. I agree with you. What's not to root for Mayfield? He does great commercials. And that's that. (laughs) Now he's going to be down in Carolina or wherever he ends up doing the commercials about the stadium. And he's just morph right into the next place that he goes. Of course he will. Yeah, why? I mean, how do you want to root for Unfortunately, Bob and Hank, we know this all too well. This isn't the first time in the NFL, and it won't be the last time. Everybody from Ray Rice to whatever, you know, they're not choir boys. I'm not defending anything he did by any means because this is heinous, and it's obviously a pattern, and I wouldn't want him on my team. No, and the league is really sensitive about not taking any action even if he gets by these lawsuits, the league really, I think, feels like it has to make some kind of statement yeah. against this guy. But if they suspend him for a year, if they do anything less than a year, they look foolish, don't they? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. So I'm looking at this as a Cleveland Browns fan, and I'm saying, what the hell's going on there? Get your Jacoby Brissett jerseys. That's going to be your starting quarterback. <laughs> And at this point, why don't we bring up, because I'm still mesmerized by the look of Butch's backyard slash uh, Four Seasons Hotel, our best foods and our best burgers. I had the best week last week. My family, my wife and I, my daughter, son-in-law, my two grandsons, we went down to Wellfleet. We rented this little cottage about 100 yards from the beach. And we brought 
oh, about four boxes of our best burgers with us. We had them frozen, brought them down. They sustained us all week. We had some visitors. We had a couple of barbecues down there. They are spectacular. Top quality beef. Outstanding. Delicious. You've got the box of 12. Lynchy has the box of 20 because he lives in Winchester. And I would imagine, Butch, with a property like that, you've probably got like a six-foot Weber or maybe even a Vermont Castings grill. Well, I'll, I'll just go mobile for a second, and I'll show Where's you. So this is this is the, the six-burner grill that my brother and my cousin did on their episode. They used to have a TV show. Don't mind the green, but this is a big grill. So I wow. could cook a lot of those burgers right there. Wow. We and might have got, to come down. If, Butch, if you invite us down, we'll bring all the burgers. Okay. That's a deal. And then I I got the pizza oven I built last year over here. Well, this is this pizza. our sold house? This is, <laughs> you know, this is, oh, it's called this nice house. Yeah, well, my dad was a stonemason. You know, it's on my fingers. So I built the pizza. That's your true Italian right wow, there. Wow, right there, huh? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, that gets really hot. I think maybe we we invent um, the Butch Stearns Our Best Burgers Pizza because you can put the burger on top of a nice I pizza. love hamburger pizza. That's a like good thin idea. Crust, thin crust, right? Oh, yeah, well, Pablo Bell will be there. That's right. The Smiling Chef, Pablo Bell. Just look for him in the frozen food section at your local grocer. Before you go, go to ourbestfoods.com, download the coupon, save some money, and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Not only for the summertime. Today is the first full day of summer but like we're talking about football football season is coming that takes you right through the fall and then right into the holiday season santa claus even loves our best burgers a nice hot one right by the fireplace when he comes down the chimney on christmas eve let me tell you our best foods.com our best burgers likes a nice hot one when he comes down the chimney let me tell you who would love more than and more than just burgers that's who would love our best burgers right there And Lucy looks like she's deserving of something as good as our best burgers, too. I will say that. She, as soon as we're done today, I got to take her up the reservoir. She's a little antsy. So, you know, you talk about football, you know, being a month away, what have you. It's almost like we've stopped because of the Celtic run. We kind of stopped talking about the uncertainty of the Patriots and Bill Belichick and who's going to call the plays. Right. Like going in into training camp in another month or so. I mean, I look at this team and I go, I don't know what to expect out of this ball club. I, I it, that's part of the fun, actually, is the not knowing. Like you always knew that the Patriots were going to do well with Tom Brady here. The last couple of years a little different. I'm hoping Mac Jones looked like he, you know, despite all the criticism of him last year, he was a good rookie. He looks like they say he's in exceptional shape and really worked hard in the offseason. And uh, I'm excited about that. But it's almost like I'm thinking, geez, okay, if we have a, you know, a 10 and 17 team, a 10 and 17, you know, it's not like I'm looking for 12 or 13 wins. You know, I've modified my expectations. How do you guys feel? Well, I'll give you my two cents. I am, um, I'm kind of enjoying the post Brady Patriots because. You go down to training camp and you watch all these new free agents and you watch all these rookies come in and like this kid, Jack Jones. Now he's all of a sudden, everybody's excited about him as a cornerback and they might've found someone and you don't have the brewskis and McGinnis's and 
Vrabels and all that stuff in the locker room anymore. And of course you don't have Brady. So I'm kind of enjoying to see what they're going to be. But then halfway through the season, you get to the season and you see what Josh Allen and other quarterbacks do to them. And you, the legitimate questions start popping in your head. Has Belichick's time passed? Is he trying to play old school football when the game has changed? I think they got the right quarterback. I don't know what I'm saying, Hank. On one hand, I'm enjoying it because we were so spoiled with Brady for so long. I, th- I think it gives the chance for them to do something unexpected because nobody's expecting anything from them, like we saw from the Celtics this year. But I don't know. It's hard after 20 years of Brady to to really have faith in just Belichick, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, there's a lot of up-and-coming teams in the East. Let's face it. There are teams that now are threats that used to be patsies. I mean, between Buffalo and Miami, and, you know, it's going to be hard to – it used to be you're a step out on the field if you're a Patriot, and you're guaranteed to get to the playoffs in one form or another. There are no guarantees in the AFC anymore. It's just – the competition is just too great. Well, the best quarterback in, in the division and maybe the conference is, is Josh Allen, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Holmes, but I'm looking forward to seeing Tyreek Hill twice playing for the Dolphins. Well, since you brought that up, I want to ask you guys a question, and I'm going to start it by giving my opinion. We all saw Gronk announced his retirement again for the second year. I brought my script home from the newscast last night, so I'm going to read it to you so I don't mess it up. You heard it already. Heard it once, Bruce. Oh, all right. You watched. Never no, mind. Go ahead. So, <laughs> well, how about I'm not going to read it. Just how about this? His quote: "I'll now be going back into my retirement home, walking away from football again." Okay. Tom Brady's quote: "I'm proud of our accomplishments together, Rob, but even more excited for all you have ahead of you." His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, quote to Adam Schefter. I wouldn't be surprised if Rob comes back during this season or next season. By all accounts, Tampa Bay still owns his rights. He doesn't submit his retirement papers like he did with the Patriots in 2019. All of a sudden, Brady goes to Tampa. All of a sudden, the Patriots trade him to Tampa. What's going to happen, or what's a very strong possibility in my opinion, because there's too much smoke with this story. Brady's a free agent at the end of the year. He goes to Miami. The Bucks trade Gronk to Miami, and we're left watching Gronk and Brady play against the Patriots twice a year with Tyreek Hill. I would love I that. I don't think it's too far-fetched. No, I don't, Butch. I love that scenario. Would that make Brady the first um, part owner start slash starting quarterback in NFL history? Yes, it would if, they, if that happens, if it comes to fruition. I read an article on that. I talked to somebody in the NFL office. No, it's never been done, obviously. That'd There's nobody even old enough. Wouldn't that be great, Butch? Uh, Hank, wouldn't I, that be really exciting? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it'd be exciting until they come in here and win 44 to 3. Well, you know Patriots what? Go down to Miami on, and, if that's the case, shame on them. If that's the way it is, I guess why can't we get players like that? Yeah, there that's you simple. go. There you go. If you look at it from the other side, if, if you were Brady or Gronk, why wouldn't you do that? Right? Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you? I guess Plus, legacy. We, Gronk, Gronk is still young enough. Physically, he can get back there. And the other thing is, you'd look at Gronk and go like, yeah, well, if you can join us at the end of November, stay healthy, get in great shape, join us for the last 
five or six games of the season and then into the playoffs, you know, when you know you're going to make the playoffs, it's just, it was almost like, you remember when, when Edelman came back, you remember he got suspended for the four games for PEDs and he came back. It was like, that was almost a bonus for the Patriots. And that the fact that he didn't get banged around for the first four games of the NFL season. Right. Right. You'd rather have him healthy in December and January. I'm not right. sure Brady's going to have such a great year this year. Oh, you don't be that he's going to fall off the cliff, guy. I didn't say that. Did I say that? <laughs> I was hearing that too, you boy. Intim- you intimated it. Are you not sure he's going to have such a good there year? There was enough evidence last year at, at times that he was not quite the guy that he was in the past. There were times when he was did remarkable things, like bring his team back to where they had a chance to win. I mean, there's no question of, of, about what he did do to the positive. There was a lot of things that he did that weren't Brady-esque. But I, let's just see what happens. I'm not so convinced that this is like, a, you know, I'm going to play till I'm 50 type of thing. No. Thank no, you very much, Lucy. John <laughs> Dennis didn't walk in the yard, did he? No. Oh. <laughs> The neighbor's mowing the lawn. She controls this kingdom here, I'm telling you. Or she thinks she does. Well, anyway, That's a good dog right. protecting her owner. Rikowski. Hey, if, before we end if, in a few minutes or whatever. We're talking about the cruisers. we got to get a uh, – Well, before you do that, I wanted to bring up the article you sent or just a quick comment about the live golfers because um, it was interesting. I followed Dustin Johnson – for a couple of holes on Sunday, he was with Morikawa and, or was it Matsuyama? No, it was Morikawa. Yeah, no, it was Matsuyama. But anyway, um, it, it was interesting to me, none of the live golfers showed up on the broadcasts, any of them, USA Network, NBC, um, even on thir- Wednesday, uh, Thursday and Friday. I they showed Mickelson tee off and that was about it. And pretty, that um, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Also, it was, now that Kepkis uh, jumped. Yeah. If I had to take a stand on it, I'm against him. And, and I don't like to say that because in most of the debates in all of sports, I'm a pro player guy over management or league. But I'm against it because it, you can't – you got to swallow real hard to accept Saudi money. It, it, too hard. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know it, – Well, but sports, here's the deal. They, they – What's got to be appealing to them? I know let's, it's impossible to cut off the moral uh, issues. It's imp- it's impossible. However, just for a minute, instead of seventy-two holes, it's fifty-four holes. Instead of making the cut, there is no cut. Instead of so, it's like more money for less work, and more guaranteed money for less work. What what it is basically is appearance money. These guys are all getting appearance money. They're not getting playing money. They're getting money to show up. And even though even the last in line makes over a hundred thousand dollars. There's no question, Bob. There's no question money. about it's that. It's not like you're, you're not like you're selling your soul, but it's it's a it's basically your appearance money to. And I think they're going to be a huge factor. They got to get a television outlet. They don't. Until they do that, it's gonna and it could be you, but you could be Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Not not Fox TV, but 
you know, Fox Sports could be the one to step up and do this thing. Well, speaking of Spock, uh, Fox Sports, this is when something, you know, that we've all followed about, you know, the whole taking blood money <clears throat> from the Saudis, right? Uh, I'm quoting, this is from golfmonthly.com. Quote, speaking on One Nation with Brian Kilmeade on Fox News Saturday night, the Live Golf CEO, Greg Norman, responded to the suggestion from American sports commentator Bob Costas that the players are accepting blood money, claiming, and this is where Norman says, quote, look, I'm disappointed people go down that path, quite honestly. If they want to look at it in prism, then why does the PGA Tour have 23 sponsors doing 40-plus billion dollars worth of business with Saudi Arabia? Why is it okay for the sponsors? Will Jay Monahan go to each and every one of these CEOs of the 23 companies that are investing into Saudi Arabia and suspend them and ban them? The hypocrisy in all this, it's so loud, it's deafening, unquote. Which is the flip side, right? It's a great point. I was just going to say, too, again, I'm with the golfers, Bobby. It's just, I'm, it's hard to swallow. And you said off the top of it, it's impossible to put the atrocities aside. But I'm with the golfers because why wouldn't you try to make as much money as you can, you know? And for the other thing. Parents guaranteed money. You don't have I, to sweat it out. I'm all for that. And also, here's the other thing. The NCAA for years has always point, you know, pawned themselves off as holier than now, and we know that's not the case. And the PGA is similar to me. The golfers have a good point. You know, the PGA is a multi-billion-dollar industry, just like the NFL is, and the golfers feel like they're not sharing enough money with them, just like the football players do. So, on that end of it, I'm with them. I just, as a golf fan, I honestly, I just wish, I wish I could put the, the Saudi thing aside. But that's a great point, Hank. That's a great point. Because it's. I didn't happen to find it on my own. I did happen to read it somewhere, and it brought up an interesting note. But every good idea is copied or, yeah. or found, Hank. <laughs> That'll give us something to talk about, Loby. When we get the Loby Cruiser, yeah, we go up to Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire. W E A R E, New Hampshire. ColdSpringsRV.com. We pick up Lynchy, who is doing very, very well, rehabbing over at Spalding in Charlestown. We go down to, it's going to take a lot to pull Butch away from that expansive estate, but I happen to think that a Cold Springs RV would be right there to do it. We'll pick up you. We're going to head to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll go to Canton, Ohio, to the Football Hall of Fame. You know, we'll go over the border into Toronto, go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. On the way back, we can hit Springfield for the Basketball Hall of Fame. No matter if you want to go to Maine, uh, to Hermit Island Campground, or you want to go cross-country, Cold Springs RV. Right, Bob? They've got the best selection at the best prices. Uh, I am so excited about going up there and finding some kind of a mobile home to drive to Florida. That's my goal. And damn it, I'm going to do it. Good That's for you. That's feel about it. Good for you. Yeah, damn it. I'm not sure when, but I'm going to do it. So whether you want that motorhome like Loby wants, I want the pop-up like tent trailer because that's what I could use at my favorite spot, Hermit Island Campground. They've got toy haulers, regular travel trailers, uh, fifth wheels. And the great thing is it's no pressure from the sales force. You can go to their showroom. You can walk around all of these different models. They're open. You can go in, lay down on them, jump on the beds if you want, go in and use the bathroom if you want. They want you to come up and see and feel and touch, and that's why they are the best. Cold Springs RV, Ware, New Hampshire, coldspringsrv.com. 
Hampshire.com. And where do we find this? That's right. Colts well, you're right. Com. You're where New Hampshire? Right exactly. W-E-A-R-E, New Hampshire. Got it. Spelled with an N and H still. Well, <clears throat> we sure, we sure Lynchies and Spalding and he didn't go up and get a camper and left, left, leave town. <laughs> well, we will find him. And if he's headed out on a vacation without us, you know, he's going to have a lot of splaining to do. Hey, guys, we, we didn't touch on just quickly before we wrap up. Um, you know, a week and a half ago, things weren't looking real good. Butch Cassidy was, as you like to refer to him, Bruce, eh, he's feeling kind of down, thought he, you know, the Bruins are part of his heart. Now he's got a five-year, $4.5 million a year contract. The big house in Winchester is up for sale, and he's in, you know, arguably the most fun city in the world in Las Vegas, baby. Sometimes yeah, well, it doesn't take much, does it? We'll see after what the Bruins are going to do to, to replace well, them. I'm sure it's, it's going to be a you know we, we all know it's temporary in the National Hockey League. Fluto Genzawa wrote yesterday that the two finalists are David Quinn, the former BU and Rangers coach, and Jay Leach, the former Providence Bruins coach. Honestly, I think I'd rather have Jay's ex-wife Catherine Tappan to coach the Bruins, and I mean that. I think she'd do a better job. I'm smart kidding. and talented. She certainly is. She's awesome. Uh, but I like Quinn. I think Quinn would be a good move. He's coached in the NHL. He's been in Boston. Coached Team USA last year. Yeah, he's a Rhode Island know. guy, right? Yeah, Cranston, right? I was secretly, you know, hoping that Joe Sacco, I know he was interviewed, but I've known Joe since he was a kid. He's from Medford. And the funny thing about David Quinn is they were teammates at Boston University. And... Joe hired, when Joe got the job in Colorado as the head coach, he hired David Quinn to be Erie's head coach in the American Hockey League. And after two years, Joe brought Quinny up to the Avalanche for his first NHL job as an assistant coach. So secretly, I was hoping for Joe, but I hope Joe Sacco stays. I think he, he's, he's a great asset. Of course, he wants to be the head coach of a hockey team again. You know, that's one of those those fun little local stories because they both played at BU. Yeah. Joe's from Medford. Uh, Quinny's from Rhode Island. You know, it's always more interesting when you have a local yeah, tie. Yeah, it, it is more interesting. And, you know, the, right. other Quinn, the other Quinn thing is he coached both Grizzlick and McAvoy at BU for whatever that's worth. No, there's nobody but Milbury for me. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about you, Milbury. Have you talked to him? Does he want it? <laughs> Would he come back? Well, you know what? He's a strange guy in a in a good way. Yeah, he's very self motivated, and I would hope that he'd come back. Let's get I'd, him on and break some news. Yeah, I I I would love to get him on. I let's try to do that next week. We'll try to get him on. All right, we'll try and get Mike Milbury on. Maybe we can screwed. go pick him he up. Definitely, he definitely got screwed by NBC. I don't care. Oh yeah, that was the most ridiculous thing I've, we've ever heard or talked about. Yeah, you're right about that. He said nothing. Okay. I mean, I think we're all poorer, come especially the playoffs, not to be able to listen to a Mike Milbury or even a Jeremy Roenick. I kind yeah. of feel the same way about Jeremy Roenick. Yeah, Milbury, Milbury was the best, though, as an analyst. I mean, he was spot he on was. most of the time. He was honest, brutally honest, which is great. 
He wasn't that. He was just the same way as a coach. You know, and listen, he, he even challenged Lynchy to a fight in a hot tub at a charity fishing event one time. So I never forget, you know, I'll never forget we're out in Pittsburgh. And we had a camp. Well, I, I, I talked to a story before, although Butch, I don't know if you heard. He had a cameraman outside the locker room and the referees were coming in. And uh, I think Dennis Morrell was was the referee that night. And Millbury comes running out at the, after the game really yelling and shouting at Morales. says, just another day at the office, Dennis, just another day at the office. And there's a Boston College priest standing there. And then he starts doing the F-bomb thing to Dennis Morrell right in front of the Boston College. It was pretty funny, actually, to see that the priest was just kind of looking away and pretending he wasn't hearing anything or anything. But Milbury, it was it was a great tirade and he had some good ones even on the ice as a coach maybe no, he had him there for confession afterwards between milbury don cherry and harry sinton how can you go wrong with those yeah. three guys oh my goodness That's seriously it. how could you go wrong with those guys harry one of the smartest most perceptive guys i ever met first time i ever met him I said you live in braintree don't you which street did you live on harry lived in braintree when he started his career i didn't for know a long that. time yeah he knew everything about my neighborhood and everything. <laughs> Who knew? I know. Actually, Harry still gets his hair cut from a guy in Winchester Center, from a guy, he's about 60 years old, grew up in Russia, and is an expert on the Red Army hockey teams. And Harry really? happened, happened one time to go in and get a haircut from the guy and knew he was Russian. He goes, hey, you know anything about hockey? And the guy knew everything about hockey, and Harry's been going to this guy for 35 years. Remember, Harry Harry wanted nothing to do with the Norwegian, Sweden, or any of those players. He wanted nothing to do with the European players, because they were all soft in his mind. Right. The only thing he and Don Cherry had in common. They were, uh, well, between Sidon, Cherry, and Milbury, we've had some beauties. I mean, you take a look at the coaches, and we got to talk about George Gray before we go. You take a look at all the character characters. Joe Morgan, baseball character, right? Hey, Bill Bob, Parcells, how's it going? Joe Parcells, football, right? Character. Milbury, Cherry, Hinsinden, all three characters. Uh, maybe Heinsen was the the guy for the Celtics. I don't know. Fitch was kind of a character and. They had ML and anything, but I'm, I guess Heinsohn was probably the – so I'm just saying we've had our share of really entertaining coaches. Absolutely. You can come up with some others. Feel free to do it. But I, I think Joe – I'm just trying to swing the Red Sox. Joe Morgan was uh, – Francona was pretty good too. Yeah, but Joe was – Joe was his own man, 6'2 and even, baby. Joe was <laughs> – he, he played great. hockey at Boston College, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. was a diehard BC hockey fan. Yeah, still is. Milbury was Milbury coached Boston College for three days. <laughs> remember, three days? remember they took a kind of glad wasn't it? Chet Gladchuk was the athletic director at BC. Yeah, and he hired Milbury, and then Milbury found out he took away Gladchuk had taken away his scholarships and told him to take that job and shove it. <laughs> when Steve Cedarchuk was the coach after Lenny Seglarski. Cedarchuk became – Cedar was a great guy, too. I've got to say that. 
Well, we but should anyway. have a Bruins coach by the next by next week, I would say. Yeah. Oh. And just like we're talking about a lot of the greats, Bob, you brought it up. There's nobody greater, and I mean this not just from a business perspective, but from a personal standpoint as well, as George Gray and Lexington Toyota in business over 50 years, the Gray family, they're at 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. You can go to their website, LexingtonToyota.com. Now, they sell arguably the greatest brand of automobiles in the world, the Toyotas. Bob, I know you've bought several from George. I have. Everybody we know has. And you know why? It's not just because, okay, we know George, you get a good deal. Everybody gets a good deal from George. But it's so good to do business with somebody who's such a quality human being. And Lexington Toyota, they also offer the best service you'll ever get. Right, Lobby? Service is the key. But I've had them, you know, between a Venza and a Forerunner and a RAV4, a couple of RAV4s and a Solera. That was my favorite, a Solera. You looked good in that. I, did, I felt good in that. <laughs> Convertible, nice drop top. Looking good, feeling good, Lewis. Huh? Looking good, feeling good. Yes. Until <laughs> the state police stopped you on the pike and said, Bob, can you please put your pants back on? Come on. You're out. Well, Hank, what kind of a story? No, I just, that was just a joke. That no, did sir, not happen. I made, joke, Hank. Don't I made tell that joke, Hank. a bad joke. Good. All right, I apologize. I apologize. Don't apologize to me. Apologize <laughs> to both our viewers. All right. Hank, I, I feel your pain. Lobie yep. gets you and pushes it to that point, and then when you go over the over the line you're supposed to go over, he's the first right. one to knock you back down. He's got the noose oh, around you your neck, and he pulls so it wrong. tight. <laughs> pulls it tight. All right, George Gray. We're, we're all in a favor. Yeah, Bob, you know you thought of it, though. Hey, can I leave you guys with a quick Tommy Heinsohn story? Of course. You probably heard this one before, but it was so great. I used to go into the garden early just to sit with Tommy. I was one of many, and just – he was so different than what he appeared, the gruff guy. He was the softest person, the most wonderful guy. Always, you know, I talked basketball. So I, I asked him one day, it was, we all know the stories how the Celtics used to barnstorm up and down the Northeast. They'd go to Portland, Maine. They'd go to Manchester, New Hampshire. I forget where they were, but the story goes, they had an 11 o'clock curfew and they had a big van. Because these seven foot guys, right? Six, seven foot guys. Him, Havlicek, Kuzi, I forget who else was there. There was like eight of them, and they weren't going to make it back for by the curfew. So they get in the van and they're driving, and all of a sudden they're on 95 heading back to their hotel, and the van overheats and they pull over on the side of the road. And Havlicek goes to open. They go, No, don't put your hands on it. So they wait, they open it up, and they all had to take a leak. So they all peed in the in the radiator oh my god this Tommy's telling me this story they shut the cap of the radiator they drive into the hotel it was a motel one of those just one floor they pull right in front of red's room it's now like 11 30 as they pull in the car smoke coming out it just dies right so they go we made it red didn't wake up they go in and they go to sleep they get to practice the next day red comes up they think they're out of the woods and red goes so 11.30, guys, huh? This is going to be a mean one today. He goes, and by the way, why does my room smell like piss? It stinks in there. <laughs> I love that story. Pretty good. That was money. Uh, All right, guys. Thanks. We'll have a great week. Hey, right, Unanchored Boston, the podcast. Check us out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Unanchoredboston.com is the website. And uh, make sure you download us, subscribe, share. Whatever you do, make sure you do it. Thanks for listening. And thanks for watching. Adios, guys. All right. See you guys.
Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com. Thank you.